Parties, episode 62 from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Lucas Egan. Lucas, how was your weekend? How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Had a fairly uneventful weekend. Uh, Not a surprise to anybody who's been listening to us. I'm enjoying the last few days of Super Mario 35. I'm up to Mm. 93 wins. I really want to try and crack 100 just for my own personal satisfaction and then cry because the one battle game (laughs) I'm good at is gone. That's about it for me. How was your weekend, Ryan? (laughs) It was good. I finally beat the uh, the base game for uh, Spider Man. So I loved it. what a what a what a beautifully uh, uh, done game. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I still have the DLCs and Miles Morales to go through, but I'm taking a step back. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over and switch gears to finishing Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. Finally, after like five or six years, so I'm excited about that. Other than that, though, we chilled out. We checked out a digital concert yesterday. It was actually a, it was supposed to be a Valentine's Day concert that got rescheduled. So we watched that yesterday. Other than that, man, it was, it was chill. It was great. I mean, I mean, enough about us, though. However, please, we, we've got a very special guest on here today. Okay, we are joined by a very special guest today. You know his music from such games as John Wick, Hex, The Pathless, and one of my favorite games of all time, Journey. Austin Winter is joining us today. Austin, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I think think you both were subconsciously uh, coming to the realization that this was all a terrible, terrible idea for you. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We were both both happy. You're both having that last second, you know, we, we can still bail. We're right, we're right, <laughs> we're right on the precipice. Um, but uh, I guess since we, since we leapt off the edge, uh, here we are. And uh, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm loving that you're working your way through games of the last decade. Uh, uh, it, it's really, uh, when you get, said just finishing Spider-Man, I thought, Oh, nice! I, I haven't had a chance to check out Miles Morales, and you're like, "Oh, no, 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 not, not, uh, not, not, not there yet." That, that's uh, that, yep. that made me that made me feel feel better that I'm constantly I'm on Steam and I'm installing. I have this vain belief that I'm gonna you know play everything ever, and so I I um, I'll install games that are like ten years old just to <laughs> so that they're there, sort of staring at me, uh, you know, uh, sort of demanding attention. And um, so, yeah, the, you 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 one up me though with Phantom Pains. That that's definitely. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> my we are the same person then because my backlog is ridiculous, and I do the same thing. I have all these games that I'll probably never eventually touch, but I tell myself uh, I'm gonna get to this game. I'm a, I'm a, one of these days this game will get played. No. I'm run, I'm basically trying to run through a bunch of the like some of the more popular series that I know of, but I've never physically played them. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the thing that I've been doing lately is really giving myself permission to say, okay, I'm going to play for one hour. And mm-hmm. if it really genuinely doesn't have me within that hour. I can forgive myself for just letting it go and then saying, okay, I did. I played it. I gave it a shot. And it just, it just didn't, it just didn't grab me. And that, that metric of time that like that, that um, unit of time of one hour might be an arbitrary line to draw. But I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, some games grab you in, in one second. You know, I look at a game like, mm-hmm. you know, Inside, and, you know, inside of 60 seconds, I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm on board and fully committed. And, you know, there have been a lot of games that, that have that, that quality. You think of Bioshock, uh, uh, you know, the first one, or, and Infinite both have such strong openings that, that you're just, that or The Last of Us, uh, you know, while we're in the realm of, Troy's games. <laughs> uh, and um, so like there are, there are, um, there are plenty of games that I think validate this, this uh, rule. Cause that way you get a taste. Cause you know, when I like a perfect example of one that utterly fails this test, it, which I, I gave it about five or six hours before I bailed was Death mm-hmm. Stranding where um, I, I, you know, people, people said it's, it's uh, you know, you just got to wait, you just got to wait, you know, like somewhere around hour ninety-five, you're gonna love it. Uh, and I, I, you know, there's so much I admire about it. Like I really love Kojima's sort of unique insanity. I love that he yeah, it's not 
I love that someone gave him the budget sufficient to make a game that on that level that's that boldly unusual. I really do admire it. I just didn't find myself loving the actual act of playing it. And so there's part of me that that you know always says, "Oh, I should go back and give it, you know, give it." Because people, by the time they reach the end, they're like, "Oh man, one of my favorite games ever." And I thought, such a steep buy-in curve. I, I admire that. I am yeah. even, but I don't. I just, I just. There's just too many others, you know? That's exactly where I am, too, with it. I haven't, I probably got like five or six hours deep with it, and I just haven't gone back. And again, I I, I love Kojima. I love his his weird, quirky way of being able to, you know, these worlds and stories that he creates, and then visually, he's doing stunning work as well. Oh, yeah. I just had a hard time buying in with the gameplay. It's like, literally taking the the worst part i feel about games and making a game about it <laughs> yeah. it's just like ah oh, but i love you i gotta finish this <laughs> yeah i had a friend who um i had a friend who uh said that the brilliance of the game was it was the first game that ever made hiking realistically come across in a, in a video game. And, and, I, and mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, you mean just because of the sheer distance? And he goes, not just that. When you start a hike and you're looking at this mountain that you're about to go up, you think, wow, that's so beautiful. But the actual act of getting there is tedious and painful and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not pleasant. And he's like, finally, the game captures that where you, you think, oh, this is going to be so exciting. And three hours later, you're like, I don't know that this was worth it. Uh, (laughs) And the funny thing was, I really don't think he was trying to be ironic. He really was praising the game as sort of accurately capturing this life experience in a, in a, in a, in an accurate way. And I, and I, I thought that was hilarious, but I thought, well, you've convinced me that I, my instinct to, move on with my life was probably a good one though that, that <laughs> you're not selling it you're not selling it the way you think you are so <laughs> i made the right choice yeah i i really do have so much ad- admiration for everybody who worked on it too from the audio department and from the like you mentioned visually it's really striking mm-hmm. and, and I, you know i i i wanted to love it so much but yeah one hour is my is my um cut i think and uh, and then yeah, because I, I find that yeah, you know what? That you can actually get through a lot of games. You know, you could you can even with a very modest amount of playing. If they're only one hour a piece, that's ten hours. That's you know ten hours a week. That's ten games a week. That's mm-hmm. not trivial. Um, mm-hmm. And then you really and then I feel like okay, you know what? You know, one out of those ten probably I'll be like I gotta I gotta stay in this for a while. You know, like I joined the early access of the Dyson Sphere program and I probably played that for like oh, fifteen yeah. hours before I decided, okay, I've I've gotten I've gotten what I came for. I'm moving on. Yeah. I've seen people play that game. That 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 is uh that was pretty interesting. I, I like those types of uh, uh games like that though. But let's before before we get into it, before we really get into the meaty meat, oh, we're into uh, it. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are into it. We got. We do have some gaming news that we want to talk about. Uh, I thought this was pretty huge news uh, as well. But Sony has officially now taken up the mantle of Evo, and they made that purchase. I know that earlier uh, last year, or I think it was maybe like middle of last year, it was riddled with controversy when um, the, I believe it was the owner of the, uh, of Evo was, uh, you know, was accused of sexual misconduct. And, you know, everything came to light. They ended up canceling it and whatnot. And we were saying, too, like, man, that really like I feel it's always terrible when you see that the 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 uh, problems of one person potentially destroying something that is so community driven and and means so much to other people. You know, how do they bounce back? And I think this is the perfect way. If anybody's able to do it, I, w- I would say a bigger company like PlayStation taking this on is is huge. Because I think they're going to run into a, a couple of issues uh, as far as with that. Obviously, the branding of it, um, with it being hopefully not too synonymous. And I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but, you know, it being a little synonymous with that, you know, they'll have to get away from that on a, on a PR, uh, PR standpoint. Um, and then you've got Sony again. We know that a lot of fighting games and Sony has been very much involved with the fighting game community. So this wasn't a surprise to me 
to see them go and take on this mantle. I'm actually really excited uh, and especially excited for the fighting game community because now you've got this big company company uh, that's supporting and backing it. I think you will see a lot of really cool things come out of it. I know I've seen online, though, that there's been some... Uh, speculation or people getting scared that, you know, are we not going to get uh, Smash Bros in there anymore? I don't think that I, I think they'd be foolish to take away any games um, from the, you know, from the uh, uh, from the actual event and doing that. Uh, I don't think that would be something that they would do. If anything, I would think that they would add more games. And then it'll be interesting, too. We know that uh, Evo has been in Vegas here to last. It's been here for a while now, I think. And uh, we'll see if they continue to host Evo here in Las Vegas or if they choose to go somewhere else. Of course, us being in Las Vegas, I hope they, you know, keep it here. And, and you know, it's always great, especially economy wise. And, you know, as far as a hub and what I think Las Vegas is, is kind of working their way to is becoming almost like a esports and video game hub, which I think it's smart. I think it goes well with the uh, uh, just the gaming, the casino business and, and gaming industry as a whole and the entertainment industry as a whole. So this had me pumped. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I'm glad that Evo, you know, PlayStation went they're back in it because that was, and I felt for my uh, brothers and sisters in the fighting game community. I know how much that was, how tainted uh, it became after that incident. So to see it, you know, get some legs and to see what PlayStation does with it, this has me really excited for the community. Yeah. You know, anecdotally, uh, I had heard that uh, Evo had, had, it is. It's always one of the premier events, right? If you're a, mm -hmm. a gamer, a competitor in one of these fighting games, you want to compete at Evo to say that you competed at Evo. Uh, mm -hmm. It had lost a little bit of its luster, I think, among gamers with just the way it was being run before the uh, major controversies of last year came up. So hopefully mm -hmm. this kind of gives them a shot in the arm and gets that excitement back. And having a company like Sony behind them will get – get that event back to where it was maybe in its early years uh i'm not i'm not so confident that they'll keep a game like smash in there i like i i, I don't know sony seems to be a company that doesn't like to play as nice among other <laughs> games properties like they, mm -hmm. they it, you see how long it took them to come around to some of the uh, crossplay stuff with some of the some of the games so i i don't know we'll see we'll see i think it's overall a win and i think given what happened last year evo needed a, something like this to kind of stabilize things if nothing else yeah i agree 100 percent uh and it, i mean so so and here's my thing about that about what you said i i feel like over the last couple of years we have seen sony opening up more and more to working with other platforms. And what I like to think, again, this is all speculation, is that they saw the writing on the wall. They saw where gaming was going, where it's becoming more of a cross-platform uh, arena where, you know, it's not so much like about, well, you know, PlayStation versus Xbox, but it's more of, look, dude, I just want to play games, man. I want to be able to play all the games wherever I want to play them. And I think, I, I feel like, they've been getting more and more on board with that idea. We're seeing more games become cross-platform, you know, Sony, uh, uh, Microsoft and all that stuff. So I, I still think for me, I, it would be really surprising to just kind of say, oh, the Smash community, we know, this, you know, sorry, guys, you guys do your own thing. I think it'd be a foolish move of them uh, to do that. I, again, they're trying to rebuild not only um, the, and not necessarily rebuilding Evo, but really the reputation of Evo, what it stands for, what it means to the, uh, to the gaming community. And then again, having these, these, uh, uh, instances, or maybe they have events where they do bring more awareness because we know that, you know, and again, talking with people and stuff like that, that this was not just a new thing. They were having rampant issues, uh, within that community, within Evo. So this is a great opportunity for, for Sony to really dig in and completely flip the script 
on on what Evo was and what it could be leading into the future. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. Austin, do you do you think that we're gonna see some companies take more tracks like this to try and get footholds in different ways? Um, and do you do you like the idea of like a Sony coming in saying we're now going to put on this? And if say hypothetically like a Microsoft does something similar with a different event and stuff like that? I I mean I don't have a whole lot of skin in that game, but I do think that. Mm-hmm. Um, Generally speaking, anything that people are excited to show up for, uh, somebody is going to work hard to try to facilitate that. And if there is a enough of a market there to uh, provoke them to try to compete with it, like you say, Microsoft going after Sony having like a, a dominant share, uh, as it were, that is generally going to be only a positive thing. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, it's 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 it's. I, I can only tell you from the perspective of having worked on a bunch of games, where they have an eye towards the potential in this kind of thing. They see the big, not just Evo, but like the big tournaments that Valve will put on for CS:GO or or you know or what Blizzard is able to sustain with Overwatch and and now Valorant and whatnot. There's definitely companies that think. I want to, I want to get in on that space. Um, and you know, so they're always, they're always trying, obviously, you know, Amazon created crucible, I think in no small part around the aspirations of that didn't go very well, which is, you know, making games is hard. Most are not going to go very well. It's just how, that's just how, that's just, that's the nature of the beast. It's a, it's a, it's a bit, uh, you know, it's just, it's tough to, tough to do well uh, and also even if you do it well to then find the audience is, is yet another challenge so but yeah the success of these things always drives people to try to make games like this this is how i encounter it the most is because there's often a you know i've had meetings before of okay this is what we're hoping to do uh and and you know we're, we're going to be the next league of legends you know that's what people like to aim their sights on in those early days uh so far there still is just just one League of Legends, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. So I mean, but past that, I I don't care. It doesn't it? Doesn't if the company wants to, if Sony wants to buy it and rebrand it, and and you know, good, great. I have I have very little opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like again, I'm not personally into fighting games, but like my brother is. I know a lot. I've got friends. My friend Flexus is. Um, I know that the community is strong and I think for the most part, it's still going to be, again, the way I've kind of seen it and we'll see how much involvement Sony actually has with it. It may be more of a, Hey, look, we're going to give you guys more resources. You know, the same, you know, the people, the, the, the crew and the behind the scenes people, you know, all that stuff will be handled by the local group and Sony's just going to be there supporting and, and, and giving resources. So we'll see if it's a positive thing. We've got it. It's coming online. It's going to be online this August. So I'll definitely be checking it out. And and I'm also interested, you know, to see what kind of production stuff that they do as far as with it as well. Um, You know, with us now kind of having these hybrid, a lot of things going over to online. Um, We'll see if they also are able to take advantage of that platform and being online and, and what they do with it. So it'll be cool. I think the other thing that we've got as well this is a big sad boy feels but we officially found out that gotham knights has been postponed to 2021 and let me let me just tell you right now 2022 it is 2021 oh my goodness like i see we lost the year we lost the year (laughs) um yes 2022 and this isn't we talked about this a couple weeks ago just some of the games that we thought uh had chances to come out this year and which ones we thought "Eh, i don't think there's any any chance that this is going to come out this year this one was very much on the on the line for us i feel however and here's my thing about this i think this really shows companies saw what happened with with uh cyberpunk whether you know what i mean like it was investors pushing them to come out with it when they came out with it but clearly that game was not ready to come out 
and and they made a fatal mistake of of pushing it out earlier than they should have, and it has absolutely been demolished. Companies had to have looked at that and and said, "Oh man, like we cannot we cannot do that." And 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 we uh, we spoke with Steven, uh who plays uh, Stephen O. Young, who plays uh, Red Hood in this, and he said, you know, just from from their standpoint, they're looking to make a game that's going to win awards, and I think this is an indicator as to look, there's some aspect of this game that they're not happy with, or they're not, you know, they don't feel as polished and ready. So I actually applaud and I, and I'm happy about the fact, number one, they came out right now and said, look guys, it ain't coming out till next year. We still got work to do. I know there was a lot of internet or internet rage, people getting salty about it, but it's like, look, you can't get mad at it because you got mad at cyberpunk that came out too early. There were issues. People were freaking out. So the other alternative is for them to take the time that's needed to properly, you know what I mean? Uh, get these games in a place that they want it to be. So I'm not, I'm not mad at that at all. I actually think that's a really good thing. And I think that other companies hopefully uh, are following suit as well. And, you know, they start as, as opposed to waiting or stringing people along, you know, they say, look, this just, this isn't coming out this year. This is, this is more of a timeline. Obviously being in the pandemic, uh, it really changed how on a develop development side, how they worked. Again, I'm not in game development, so I don't know what that back end looks like, but I can't imagine just like everybody else, they're dealing with their own challenges, working on these games remotely and stuff stuff like that. So I think people need to be patient uh, with this stuff. Yeah. Would it be great? But this to me only means that 2022 is going to be even spicier. Yeah. uh, 22 is going to end up being like a super stacked year where it's going to be like every week, we're going to get some amazing game coming out. I Mm -hmm. Steven sold me on this game. Like he got me more hyped on this game than I already was. So I'm sad that it's getting delayed, but I'm not surprised like uh, mm-hmm. you know we talked about this before that that it really felt like this year was going to be the year that we felt the the brunt of the effects of the pandemic on game development right. uh, so to you know what take as much time as they need I would rather have it come out uh, and be good than come out and require these giant patches um, you know to <laughs> Too many games I all just give up on early and it, it's hard to win you back when there's other games coming out and other things vying for your attention. So yeah, not surprising, but hopefully it's good. <laughs> yeah. What are what are awesome? What are your thoughts on this? Is this like surprising to you, or do you expect to see more games kind of going this route and being and just just having to push back? Oh, I well, I mean, it's funny on my on the show that I do with Mike, uh Bithel Playwatch Listen, we spoke at length about this, uh, I think last week or the week before, um, and and how um, the the notion of, of why companies even put out the release dates that they do, and, and there's a whole very nuanced subject that I, I won't really be able to do justice to in quick summary, but as someone who has, has worked on games that crunched really hard to meet a deadline that we were on track to be behind on and having also worked on games that delayed, even including, you know, delaying what was already publicly announced. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you there's, you know, the, the, there's that famous um, Shigeru Miyamoto, Miyamoto quote in which he said, a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is bad forever. Uh, and I, I think that's just, there's never a, basically short of the team is going to run out of money and Mm -hmm. therefore it, it, which could include also like a publisher saying, you know, if you need more time, we will cancel the game outright. You know, circumstances like that, which are, which are not easy to navigate. There's a lot of variables for a project director, uh, and a studio head to really wrangle with. And, and I, I have a lot of empathy for for the difficulty of those decisions, but by and large, mm-hmm. if delay is an option, it's always better. <laughs> you know, that's funny. People, the wrath of people over a delay announcement doesn't compare to the wrath of people playing a game that shipped prematurely. Uh, you know mm-hmm. that 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 uh, and and in a way, um, deservedly so. You know, uh, like I I bought a bad product is different from 
you know, oh, but I want it sooner because I'm excited, <laughs> you know, like right. that one of those is a very positive negative thing. The other one is just a negative, negative thing. Um, and so I, um, yeah, I, and I can tell you every time I've worked on a game that um, personally, in my experience that I've, where it was delayed, um, I somehow always managed to write some of my best stuff in that post delay window mm. so i've always selfishly been like can i'm sure it would be better to just delay again because i somehow it's like <laughs> you're being given another chance it's like it's like you bullet timed and and watch the slow-mo bullet go by and then you realize like i i've just i've just literally dodged it i mm -hmm. i can do anything and, and yeah so yeah i i've i've always been grateful i mean using journey as an example you know we delayed that repeatedly Mm -hmm. uh, and of course the release date wasn't, I think, publicly known. And, and obviously, you know, other than people who were maybe big fans of flower, which TGC made before that, um, it's not like the world was waiting on hand and foot for journey to come out. It was a very different story than cyberpunk or something like that, or Gotham Knights here. So, you know, we, the, there was not a marketing pressure to avoid delay it was just about cost overrun for, for Sony, basically. They were just saying, you know, this is costing considerably more than we initially expected because it was supposed to take half this long to make. And to right. Sony's credit, you know, they didn't cancel the game. They, they could have. And and that game company kept saying, we, we just need more time, but we think it will be worth it if you're willing to give us that. And, and all the music that people have made the most comments to me about over the years since journey came out, were all written in the last few months, which means it's all time that was basically, you know, given us precisely because we were delayed. So I'm a right. fan. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I like it when it, there's more time to make stuff. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I know that, uh, you know what, let's take a quick commercial break. Cause I do want to, I, I know that I'm excited. I know Lucas is excited. We want to sit down and, and talk with Austin here. We'll be right back guys. Welcome back, everybody, and now comes the fun part of the episode. And Austin, let me let me start because I don't have a musical right, mind. I thought that was plenty fun up till now. <laughs> That's good to know. Good to know. Uh, you know, without having the benefit of having a musical mind, when you approach a project and you're talking with some of the creators of, you know, what it's going to be like thematically and tonally and all that. How do you start to form musically what's going to fit and to have like a blueprint to work off of? Oh, uh, well, I wish I, it's going to sound like a cop out, but I wish I, I knew it's different every time. And in a way, creativity as a business is a certain amount of, you know, prayer of just i i hope it works again this time you know it's like a machine <laughs> it's like a machine that you don't really know how it works so you just hope if i turn it on it it hasn't needed maintenance in the meantime because i i actually don't know how to maintain this mm -hmm. uh, being slightly you know flippant but not much frankly because i really am reliant that when i look at the material that exists which in some cases is nearly nothing you know they they sometimes you know in many cases pathless abzu journey like there are a lot of games where i'm i'm there from the very very beginning and so what exists is you know could be just a few sentences in a in a in an email describing here's what we hope to make and there isn't even concept art yet never mind playable prototypes or vertical slices or anything remotely along those lines so um even I, I'm I'm reliant on on um, you know that my imagined that my imagined extrapolation of what it will be is actually relatively accurate to what's in their head of what it will be because sometimes I imagine a thing I start creating and then as we get a little further down the road and I start seeing what the developers making and I realize ooh they're actually making a pretty different game than my head version of what they were making and I have to mm -hmm. adjust 
my my expectations and also my my music just isn't going to fit as is. I'm I'm scoring a game that they're not actually making. Uh, mm-hmm. So sometimes that that occurs. But but in terms of just those initial sort of fundamentals and those building blocks, it, it's 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 a lot of just let's just hope that I can I can kind of feel my way into something that that feels interesting. Of course, all this is predicated on the idea that I'm always trying to write something that I feel like I haven't really written before. You know, that's, that's kind of baked into the premise of my comments because sitting down and just writing music randomly is not hard. Mm -hmm. I just won't like it. It'll feel, it'll feel like, okay, you know, I've, I fundamentally I've done this before or, or, or worse yet, someone else has already done this. And I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of, I'm just kind of, emulating or shamelessly knocking off somebody else's work. And I, I don't want to do that, but I don't even want to be knocking off my own work. I, I'm I, the goal for me is always to push myself somewhere new and feel like, ah, you know, I don't know that I, that I knew how to do this. Uh, and, and I had to kind of get my way into it. And so with that as the goal, yeah. Every time I start just saying, I hope I can, I, I can do this again. <laughs> but, you know, let's just dive in and, hope for the best you know if i could touch base on on a couple games in particular and i i I gotta start with journey because like that that's one of my favorite games of all time and in large part because of the music and you know i remember playing that game and and having that music slowly start to build on itself there and in subsequent playing it and watching other people that i know play it it was almost like a, a different musical experience based on if they ran into other players uh and so can can you talk about that process and and am i imagining that like is it did did you plan that to be kind of a, a different musical experience based on how you played that game oh 100 percent. i mean journey was for mm. me a, a, a deep dive into how to make a tightly interactive score that doesn't feel necessarily like it's interactive in the sense of it's not supposed to be so literal that if I, you know, if I press X instead of triangle, it's going to, you know, musically reorient itself in some kind of mindless playback kind of way. That was never the goal. The goal was the way I always describe it is imagine you're doing a, a uh, video capture of your playthrough. Um, going back and watching that the music should feel like it's scoring with the same precision as if it had always been a film and I was scoring it as a film score. So it should feel like, you know, as I came around the corner and the music rose to reveal the landscape, it was right there. It knew it was coming in this, you know, when you're, cause I've scored a lot of films and, and what is probably very intuitively and obviously true is the footage is set. You know, even if they're re-editing, mm-hmm. you know, you know what's coming and when, and the music is shaped around the ebb and flow of the storytelling on screen. So the goal was, can I create that even within the indeterminacy of a player's individual choices in a game such that three different players looking at three different captures would say, wow, it's as if the composer was standing over my shoulder, writing the music in real time for exactly my choices. So that was journey was, you know, my first real, I, you know, because working on flow prior to that with TGC, it's also deeply interactive, but it's a very, it's much closer to that. You know, if I push this or I do that, the music changes in kind of obvious ways, um, which is fun. And, and, and especially in a kind of Zen meditative experience like that game, you know, it's more, it's more fitting because everything kind of is sort of drifting in this aimless uh, or semi-aimless way. Journey was a far more linear piece of storytelling that, you know, had very different rules and, and, and was much more grounded in the familiar. It was much less abstract compared to Flow and even Flower, although I didn't work on Flower for the record. But, but, um, but so, yeah. So, and a big component, as you, as you mentioned, is the multiplayer. How do we make the music different so that the fact that it feels different when you're playing with somebody else versus alone is reflected in the score. And it's not just window dressing. So we did a handful of things. First off, there's a few instruments that I use that feature in the score that are only ever heard if you are connected to somebody else. You just simply will Mm. not hear them. Um, And they're featured soloists. It's not like some very subtle background thing. Like it's, it's a prominent 
part of the musical experience um, to hear these instruments, uh, but the music therefore had to be written to work without that, you know, because in my mind, I was working from the, like while writing it, I thought, okay, well, it's a multiplayer game. The default position should be someone connecting online to somebody and playing with them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and so in other words, it was like, it was in a way thinking of it as a solo player, solo, lonesome, single player experience was kind of the, okay, having worked out multiplayer, now let's go see if I can strip a bunch of stuff out and see if it still works. Uh, mm. Because in my mind, it just, why would you ever play this game alone? That was my thinking. It was interesting when it came out and there were so many people that said, okay, here's the definitive way to play Journey. You play alone, then you play a second time with somebody else. And I thought, I, you're half right. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 in my mind, it was so very much about the multiplayer connection that um, what was supposed to be this kind of backup uh, option of solo play, a lot of people really resonated with, which is great. I mean, I love that. Now I have a much broader view on that of, you know, you, you should play it however you want to play it. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that, that my obsession with the multiplayer didn't short sell the single player experience uh, musically. Cause yeah, in my mind, it was, it was, um, it was all about that. In fact, funny enough to your point of, you know, it's not, it's not just instruments by the way that change based on multiplayer, but the system is actively gauging things like how far away are they at any given moment? And it's adjusting the music based on that, like real time distance measurement. And then also because of this sort of singing mechanic that we worked out where, you know, the player can kind of make these little chirps and pulses as a way to not just interact with the world, but interact with a fellow player and, and do things like empower them to jump higher and, and farther and that sort of thing. Um, the music is kind of keeping track of how engaged are you with this other player? In, in other words, are you playing with someone or are you merely coexisting alongside someone? Those are really two mm -hmm. different things. And I want mm -hmm. there to be a kind of musical reward for really pairing up with someone and, and tackling this experience together. That should really also be different. And one of my early pitches to that game company and to Sony was, what if we do kind of an orchestral score? What if there's sort of two components? There's these very intimate soloists, like a solo cello, a solo flute. And then there's this broader palette of the, of the orchestra. And what if you could only ever hear the orchestra if in, in those moments of connectivity and responsiveness with a player online? And Sony is very wisely said, so you're basically saying, because contractually, you know, especially back in those days, they said, we must ship a game where the multiplayer is technically considered optional. We can't sell a game that, it, that you know, that you must be connected online. Because they, they, they knew, you know, we'll get players complaining, like, oh, well, I have unreliable internet. You're saying I, I can't play this game. And so even though... Philosophically, everybody agreed that the, the crux of it, of it is really meant to be um, a, a, a multiplayer game. They couldn't technically make that demand. Obviously, times have changed a lot. Remember, this was the early days of, 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 of the idea of even downloading a game as the default way to buy it. Like mm -hmm. Journey was Journey, the three games of TGC, Journey, Flow, and Flower, were, were uh, part of the first wave of downloadable games where it, it was actually a bonus that later they became available in a box title on a disc that you could buy, you know, at Best Buy or whatnot, because initially it was, it was just this novelty. It was, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll put our eccentric lower cost games online and everyone else goes and buys them in stores. And th this was a big turning point in the industry, but as a result, you know, they had to be very sensitive to the idea that if most people still thought of games as you go and buy it in a store, which means mm -hmm. that internet connection is not a guarantee. It's not baked into the equation. Well, now if everything's downloadable, obviously we, we've already gotten past that hurdle. So things have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. point, point being, their response was to me, so you're saying the expensive, the most expensive by far part of creating a score, which is recording orchestras and doing that kind of thing, is nested within the optional part of our game. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and they very, they very wisely steered us off of that. To me, I like those kinds of bold moves. But in hindsight, if the only way to hear, you know, like what later we call apotheosis, the big kind of grand finale of the game, if the only way to hear that as written was because of, you know, you're really actively engaged with a player, I think we would have undercut what the experience could be in a way that 
that in hindsight they 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 you know they they were wise. I I it was one of those. I was I was very in love with that idea and kind of absent-minded about the practical realities of what that would entail. Um, and so we made much smaller impact uh, uh, choices for how the multiplayer affects the overall musical landscape. But especially in the first half of the game, the difference is pronounced. I mean, it's really, you really feel it. And if you do an A, B of the exact same moment of the game alone versus not, you'll, you'll definitely see it's, it's not subtle within the realm of journey in which basically everything is actually subtle. Uh, you know, God of War is not subtle. So journey, <laughs> journey there's not a single moment of journey that you could argue is unsubtle if you try to look at the wide scheme of all games. But within mm-hmm. the realm of journey, if you kind of zoom in on that, I, I don't think it's very subtle. See, I, I, I love the fact when, you know, using sound and music uh, as part of the storytelling device uh, is so huge. Because I feel like audio is, you know, that's one thing that is overlooked a lot. But it's such a powerful tool uh, to be able to use people resonate with all kinds of music. And and, and again, music is universal. Oh, so, yeah. I, I you know, I could not understand what's, what the person's saying, but it could still touch me or make me feel some kind of way. Or like you're saying, you know, you made this very, uh, you know, cinematic wise, like, um, you know, kind of helping to drive the story along and whatnot. And I, and I did want to ask what would you say are some differences because you have done film scores and things like that from doing a film score and doing a video game score? Well, uh, I mean, storytelling is storytelling. So of course there are also non-narrative games. Uh, although mm-hmm. I've actually done very few of those, even games that are, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning in the context of Evo, you know, Smash Brothers is not a, a narrative game, but I still think when scoring a game like that, on some level, I am actually helping to tell a story because I would argue that those games, they're not narrative in the sense of the way the, the, the you know, The Last of Us is narrative, but they are narrative insofar as if you and I sit down to play a game and we have this memorable experience, we've just made a story together. I chose, you know... Pikachu, you chose Luigi. That was that's oh, that's that's our exposition. Then mm-hmm. I did this. You countered this way. We were on the top of the you know the Star Fox mothership. I don't even remember what it's called, but like all the details start to form our narrative of that event. And I feel like the music is needs to be supporting the idea that the players are telling their own stories. So I would mm-hmm. still argue that those games are Tetris or some match three or whatever, they're all narrative in their way. Because I think all human activity is inherently narrative. This is just part of a bigger philosophy that that everything we do tells a story. Somebody said, live your life as though you're writing a book about it. Uh, I think that there's nothing that uh, we do that's sort of divorced from the notion of, of narrative because, and that's why, that's why it's such a powerful part of our, our culture for time in memoriam. I mean, we were telling stories mm-hmm. before we had the capacity cognitively and sociologically to even write them down. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, I think that that's a, um, it's, it's easy to kind of dismiss, Oh, well, you know, a fighting game or, uh, you know, multiplayer, like a battle Royale or what these are, these are not narrative. And I, and I think it's just a different type narrative of narrative. And so music is in service of, of that, obviously, we're doing things like amplifying emotions. I think the most mm-hmm. powerful tool of music, and everything I'm talking about right now is the things that they have in common, film and games. The most mm-hmm. powerful tool of music is to augment a subtext that is otherwise um, missing from all the other ingredients. Something that all the other things you're seeing on screen or you're doing through your keyboard and mouse or your controller or whatnot is somehow not communicating fully. Perfect example. So last night, I... Me and my girlfriend had the had the made the decision to rewatch what was a childhood favorite of mine, which I had not watched in twenty years, which is the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy. Uh, and, oh yeah! And um, I've always loved that score. It's it's one of those. It, it came out, you know, it was a year or so after Tim Burton's Batman, and so it was really obvious that they hired Danny Elfman and said, "We love what you did. Basically, do it again." Uh, and yeah. so it's very, in many ways, it's very similar to Batman, but there is this love theme that is this very Gershwin-esque early kind of New York Americana. Um, and, and, uh, there's a scene where, you know, Dick Tracy has 
his his this woman he's in love with, although he struggles to communicate it for most of the movie, named Tess. And there's this really romantic Gershwin-esque love theme for the two of them. And then there's a scene where he keeps trying to get Breathless Mahoney, Madonna's character, to testify mm-hmm. against uh, uh, Big Boy, you know, Al Pacino, Oscar nominated for his role in this movie, Al Pacino. Uh, and, um, and he keeps getting her to testify and she just, she's so like undervalued. Everybody sees her as an object. So she's, she's, she's longing for validation for herself. And she, cause Dick Tracy's still, he's equally guilty of using her as a tool as everybody else. It's just, he's using her as a tool in the, the context of you're a witness that I need to testify against this mob boss. Everyone else is using her as a tool as like a sex object for their casino. Right? So she's basically yeah. saying, you know, you're the first good man who's come into my life. Can't you show me some emotion? And there's this great scene where they're meeting kind of, you know, surreptitious, like, like um, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of, um, not surreptitiously, but they're meeting in that kind of, you know, out on the docks, um, trying to think, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it's the, it's the classic sort of informant meeting the cop under cover of night sort of scene. And she says, you know, can't you admit to having feelings for me? And Danny Elfman starts playing Tess's love theme. And Dick Tracy says something along the lines of, you know, if I tell you what you want to hear, I'm going to hurt someone I don't want to hurt. And I love that the way, look at you, hot on the drop. <laughs> um, I love the way that um, he's basically, he's putting her in the scene, despite her not being in the scene, because that's where his mind goes to immediately. You know, here's this beautiful woman saying, you can have me if you want me. And he's saying, but there's someone who I genuinely love who I will hurt by doing so. And so, and Danny gives us all of that without them. In fact, I would argue him saying to do that requires me to hurt someone I don't want to hurt. You could cut that line because Danny's already told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got this very well-established love thing. So that to me is my favorite. When music can communicate something that, all the other ingredients are avoiding and it, and it adds in this space. It fills in the edges or, or the cracks or whatnot, uh, the subtext of the narrative in ways that, that is, it is uniquely empowered to do. It is something that is just one of those things that cinematography can't quite do it. Acting, you know, all these things can inform subtext, but music has a special sort of superpower in a way because it doesn't have the ability to communicate the text quite so literally like you, there are some lines that music simply cannot stand in place of, you know, if they say, you know, we need to tell the, the audience that, you know, um, the, the villain is hiding at uh, third, th- you know, third Avenue and fourth street. Uh, the, if they're, they're at that intersection and the, the, the hero only has 20 minutes to get there, but it's a 30 minute drive away. And therein lies our dilemma, you know, there's a certain amount of things that I can't, there's no chord for that, right? There's no, there's mm-hmm. no melody that communicates hard facts like that. But, <laughs> you know, character walks on screen and, and you go, you know, and you're like, I know this is a villain before any other detail <laughs> is, is mm-hmm. said about that. So music has certain things it can do subtextually very powerfully in that way. Film and video games, I somehow remember your question. Film and video games <laughs> are actually uh, very similar. The massive thing that separates them is, of course, the technological aspect of games. The, the nature of the fact that m- movies are fundamentally all mechanically the same thing. You hit play, at some point, it's over. If it's a TV show, you go through this process more than once. That's basically it. Games, mm-hmm. on the, and the nature of different game mechanics, you know, Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers isn't even the same as Street Fighter, uh, right. you know. Like, and those are far more closely aligned than Smash Brothers relative to Bioshock, relative to Journey, relative to you know Dear Esther or Hades. Or, I mean, it's just you really quickly realize that games is more like this umbrella term under which a million different things sit, whereas film has different genres which mainly applies to the different ways that these techniques are being used the different types of cameras different types of lenses different you know um uh, the different types of stories that tend to cluster together but they're all mechanically the same thing so just grappling with the different technology that comes with the different types of gameplay experiences yields wildly different experiences sometimes scoring a game 
actually feels a bit like scoring a film. And then other times it's just nothing like it. And of course, my excitement in games is the ones that don't feel like scoring films is highly, highly dynamic, highly interactive scores where I'm, I'm getting in there and I, I realize I'm actually creating a toolkit to allow the player to be a co-author of the music for their experience such that, you know, your score and your score, as I point to the two of you separately, uh, <laughs> play out potentially differently and so differently that you might even think, wow, is this even the same game? Uh, right. You know, like mm-hmm. on the, the game we're talking about where, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, oh, that thing hit at a different time because I did this at a different way, but they're so that it's like an accordion that's stretching and contracting, but it's still fundamentally the same thing. But then other times it really is like a, a Lego set where I am building something fundamentally different from what you built. And that's deeply exciting to me. So yeah, film, film has just no equivalent to that whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and I, and that's not to its denigration. It's just, it's a different medium, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I know we're running short on time, so before we let you go, I wanted to touch on the path list just real quick. And I I know that that one of the things I find most interesting about the music in that is that, like, depending on how far you've progressed, it seems like you'll get different instruments in in certain areas or if you go back to an area it seems like it drops in and out on on what you're adding and taking away can you kind of talk about that and and how the music kind of helps the progression of your character in that sense gives you another layer of of your progression through that game sure yeah absolutely i my i will self-promote my uh my youtube channel where i put a video online that kind of does a a deeper walkthrough it's still very concise you know it's like a 10 minute description of a thing that took us you know two years to figure out but uh (laughs) um but but yes what you just said all of that is basically accurate it is i wanted there to be a few different overlapping variables that we're keeping track of in the score such that it's kind of like when you're plotting uh, like if you're looking at a chessboard or like an Excel spreadsheet might just be the simplest thing of, you know, you've got letters across the top and numbers down the, the side where, you know, if I say, okay, now you're located at, you know, B5. Well, if you make a purely vertical move and you go to, you know, B10, you've stayed in the B column while sliding down five rows, right? But you could easily have stayed mm-hmm. at five and moved over to, you know, C5, or you change both of those things. And now I'm at D7 or whatnot. And mm-hmm. I want, I, 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 I think there's thinking of a score as moving in a similarly kind of three-dimensional non-linear way is I think particularly helpful when trying to write music for an open world game where the player has pretty massive agency over how they progress through it. You know, so the way it works in the pathless is the, you're on this island, right? And it's an open world environment. They were showing our fabulous nickel Harpaist uh, Morgan. Um, uh, and um, so it's an open world island that has the, the basics of the game centers around three plateaus that have three different kind of big boss monsters, right? So mm-hmm. I said, okay, big picture is defeating each one of these bosses constitutes like a trial for this character of this hunter. I wanted to feel like having done it once was a big milestone for her in her kind of hero's journey. And then doing it again is yet another milestone. And then a third time, you know, now she's really accomplished something quite magnificent. And then of course the story proceeds onward from there as she travels up into the mountains. And obviously we're not, it's not done yet at that point. And so I thought I, each one of these should feel like a pretty big milestone musically such that progressing past a boss, any boss, will advance the clock in the music's sense of heroism and confidence. Because also, again, back to the subtext thing, we, we declare early on that she's being driven, she's being dropped onto this island by her, you know, unnamed culture mm-hmm. in a way that I always likened to this kind of, this cliche image of, you know, sacrificing your your town's you know virgin to the volcano that kind of idea or or this this idea that you've got this ritualized form of sacrifice and like like aztecs and mayans uh 
had a lot of this kind of baked in the almost every society at one point or another had some version of this. In fact, there's a fantastic episode of South Park where they argue that modern day paparazzi and and um, celebrity sort of cult worship is just a modern form of this because people invade into their private lives to such a degree that we are essentially we are essentially sacrificing them for our social gain. And they they do a whole bit about Britney Spears being sacrificed for the sake of the corn harvest. And I, I think it's <laughs> in the long list of brilliant South Park episodes. It's 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 even it's even up there because they, they're just continuously so superb. And so uh, anyway, I always saw this thing with the hunter as, as an idea that she's being sent as a kind of sacrifice because they know there's a there's a dark magic that's emanating from this island and they don't know how to stop it. So they continuously send these, these skilled hunters, but none have ever returned. So, and the idea is that this has been going on for so many generations that at some point it just becomes a, we send one of our best to this Island knowing they're never going to return. Well, that, to me, that's a, that's a ritual sacrifice, but mm -hmm. the goes there not knowing what they're going to face, not knowing what the problem is and just hoping maybe I'll be the one that figures out how to finally solve this. Realistically, I'm probably going to die here. And so the game, the game, of course, poses this question of, well, what if something were different? What if something about this instance of that, uh, a new variable entered the equation, which in this case is she bonds with the sort of mythical offspring of the, the great sort of mother god, this, this maternalistic eagle who has a kind of child uh, that becomes your eagle companion. And that represents an X factor that no prior hunters had the benefit of. And so our story is therefore different. But because there was this baked into the narrative framework was this idea that you don't even know why you're on this island. I was always very fixated on that, very attached to that. So I thought the music can progress and get more confident. And like, like she's coming to understand her role. She's coming to understand mm -hmm. what's going on here. And she meets this character of the God Slayer. Um, and, 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 and he very clearly tells her, you know, you know, you're nothing. You're, 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 you're just you're just yet another piece of cannon fodder to me, and um, so I thought every time you beat one of these bosses, the music should gain this sense of heroism and confidence, such that it's far more, you know, ominous and far more, in a way, ambient early because you're still in this mode of exploration. But by the time you're zeroing in on beating your third boss, you've really built up quite a lot of okay now. I'm on a mission. Now I know what I'm doing. I've done it twice. I got the third one in my crosshairs. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of properly a bad at this point. So, but of course you have no idea as a designer, what the order of the bosses is going to be. So first off, the system just has to recognize any boss will advance the system, but we don't want it to be quite so clumsy as just that. So then yes, on top of that, the system is always tracking where you are on the Island, which means, cause the bosses are, in a fixed location. So even though right. mm -hmm. you, know, you can do them in any order, like the giant sauropod sort of quasi brachiosaurus is on this plateau. Cernos, the kind of demon elk is on this plateau. So whichever one you go to, there are localized aspects of the score, which will infuse with whichever part of the story you are in. And I delineated it in the kind of traditional, you know, act one, act two, act three. And so that, that gave us a framework and then in addition to that, of course, there's a, there's a lot of things that can interrupt the music. You know, certain locations are very special. So when you enter into those locations, we'll shift gears to make the music of that kind of take control for this little microcosm of a moment or things like these giant red storm events. You know, those will kill the music completely and become the Steve Green sound design show while you're in the midst of those because it's very chaotic and very scary. And we, we don't let music be any part of those moments, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it was about creating this kind of grid of, you know, this location uh, mm -hmm. means one variable. Where I am within the story means this other variable. Um, and then a bunch of localized systems are yet another variable. And all of that kind of adds up into something that hopefully feels like it's just whatever you did, the music mm -hmm. told your story. Does that make sense? It does. Totally. Totally. And thank you so much for joining us today, Austin. Like we said, we know you're you're an extremely busy guy, so we appreciate the time. We're so thankful that we've been lucky enough to talk to you and Mike and Alana. And this this was a lot of fun. We'd love to have you back on. And we're so close. We're close to con completing the Play, Watch, Listen sweep. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming for you, Troy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
he sent me a uh, he sent me a text right as we were getting started, and so I, I will I will poke him and say, all right, these these guys have got you in the uh, got you in the sights. I'll just send you. I'll just send you all of his personal information. I'll send you his bank. I'll just. I'll do like a one-off, you know, peer-to-peer doxing, uh, <laughs> or to, uh, to complete your 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 what would it be your quadfecta? Uh, so yeah. that uh, your uh, yeah, I love it. I didn't actually realize that you'd had Alana. If you told me that, I somehow forgotten. But I obviously I knew you had talked to Mike. So. I assumed that when you had them on, you were asking about the the pathless and the interactive music systems and those kinds of things, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, they they try to make themselves sound so smart about that, but but couldn't compare to you. <laughs> well, actually, I'm just I'm just the figurehead. It was all them. And, uh, so, well, that's exciting. That's that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, it would have been. It's funny because when you were asking earlier, particularly about the Evo thing, that's one of those moments where I said. This sounds like an Alana question to me, uh, and then, uh, and then you know, as soon as we start getting into the world of of design and and, and decisions like game delays and what, so this starts to feel a bit like a Mike question. To me. <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, I I I appreciate you uh, letting my imposter syndrome go in full force while uh, <laughs> I have to kind of struggle and flap my my overly short wings uh, to. Uh, be in their place, a poor substitute for them. Not true. I, I, I love the fact that, I mean, again, for me, I'm, I'm very much, and I, I know like many other people love music. So just being able to hear a little bit and what goes into it and how, you, you know, just any anytime you get into uh, what a person's process is uh, for creating is super, super intriguing and exciting for me. Uh, so being able to hear it from a sound design, from a composing side and, and that craft, I absolutely love it. I know that the listeners will enjoy it as well. So thank you again so much for being on Austin. Oh, no, we appreciate it, my friend. It's my, it's my pleasure to both of you uh, and my, my, my immense gratitude. I, I, I love the dynamic that uh, that you guys have here and and I and I love that uh, you distract me with uh, with uh, <laughs> visuals while I'm talking. and um, yeah, it's 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 really excellent it's it's an absolute uh, pleasure and I, I you know if you'll have me back I'll I will gladly return sounds good and Absolutely. if you, if you ever find yourself in Vegas let us know we'll we'll hook up out here once it's safe oh yeah I was actually it was funny it was one of those things I was going to ask you at the beginning and then you made uh, some comment about, you know, here in Vegas, and I thought, Oh, you're actually, actually in Vegas, you know, because in our, in our world today, never, never mind just the past year, but even prior to that, you know, it would be very easy to, to do your show theoretically from anywhere. And so I was curious, because mm-hmm. yeah, obviously mostly because of dice, I find myself in Vegas theoretically, uh, <laughs> annually. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of those cities that I, I have a, um, I have a very mixed relationship with, because of that, you know, it's just like the Vegas, the full Vegas experience is sort of a bit much. Um, <laughs> but, but one of the things that you learn when you come repeatedly is, you know, in a way, the Vegas experience, it would be like saying, you know, L.A. is Universal Studios or something where mm-hmm. there's actually a lot more to Vegas than what's, you know, on all the, the billboards and mm-hmm. outside the strip, yeah. the narrow conf- confines of the strip. And uh, I find myself eager to explore that more and more. I, I have a friend who used to go every year uh, for years and years and years. And he was like, trust me, you haven't gone to Vegas and truly seen it till you come with me. Because all the all the shit I like to do is the stuff that is never in any of the the kind of tourist sales pitch. Like there's actually quite a lot here. So, yeah, it's an easy sell for me. Never mind the fact that one of my dearest friends in the world and, and a musician who I work with a lot, including she's, she's like the featured musician on journey, the cellist. She recently moved to Vegas and kind of broke my heart into a million pieces. Cause I loved hanging out with her here in LA. Uh, but she was like, to hell with that, you know, far more affordable, no state income yep. tax. Fuck you. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you're breaking your own heart by staying in California, like a chump. And, uh, so, uh, and I, I, I find myself, my mind drifts that direction, not not uh, infrequently where I think, you know, although the heat, I don't know. Yeah. And the cold. It's one of those, like, I, I did New Year's Eve in Vegas probably 10, 11 years ago. And standing out on the strip at midnight, I was like, this is f- 
freezing. This is <laughs> this is not uh, this is not a like th- th- you forget that deserts are you know they're brutally hot and then they also retain no heat. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I was blown away at the severity of the weather on on either extremes there. So it's it's a little bit of a tough sell for me. But every year my resistance wears thinner a little bit more. <laughs> yes. more so I may be I may be hitting you up to say so I you know you got a good realtor because I, I I think I just moved somehow. <laughs> <laughs> this was me I holding my Vegas. <laughs> Well, we, we we would welcome you with open arms. Wow, much appreciated. Much appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? More Super Mario 35. It's like the last weekend. Yeah. It's the last, my yeah. final weekend. So that that's it. <laughs> what about yourself? Yeah. No, like I said, I'm on that Metal Gear grind. So I'll be playing that, Destiny 2, uh, and then trying to, trying to just basically focusing on beating Metal Gear. So again, guys, thank you, Austin. Thank you guys out there for joining us on this episode. Don't forget, hit us up at Lamb Parties Pod on Twitter on Twitter. <laughs> that's all we got. Or you can hit us up personally, Lucas Egan or Simity2447. We hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week, and you know what it is. We love your faces. Yeah.